Good morning, and welcome to this time of worship at Houghton Wesleyan Church. Please stand and join me for the call to worship printed in your bulletin. And please note that some lines are just for men or women. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Lord, we come to you today ready to see, hear, and feel your presence. Draw us closer to you as we seek to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. It's wonderful to be able to come together and to worship our Lord. And uh, that we're glad that you're a part of this gathering today, those here in the sanctuary and those following us on streaming. Let me encourage those of you who are here to take a moment, uh, share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship today. that internal clock went off in our heads again. We got to keep this brief. So, um, Just one thing I want to mention to you this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. And uh, we will be hosting a service here at 6.30 Wednesday night. If you're not familiar with uh, Ash Wednesday service, uh, it's a service of, of hymns and scripture of uh, silence and contemplation. And uh, it's, it's very symbolic and uh, gives us a number of, of ways of, of understanding and thinking about um, what it means for Christ to come for us and thinking about our own uh, needs and his wonderful grace. So we hope you'll join us Wednesday night at 630 here in the sanctuary.
Our Old Testament reading comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses 16 through 32. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, The Lord says you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their own hearts, they say, No harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. I have heard what the prophets say, who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets, who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Therefore, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who steal from one another words supposedly from me. Yes, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare, the Lord declares. Indeed, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies, yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the singing of the doxology as the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. Father, you are so good to us in so many ways. Now, in gratitude, we give back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Seth. It's a reminder of um, God's great blessings in our lives. And it's because God is the, the one who blesses us and is a fount of blessing that we feel free and safe and even celebrate the fact that we can come to him in honesty and know that he will receive us and hear us. So let me invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the way of peace. Come into the brokenness of our lives and our land with your healing love. Help us to be willing to bow before you in true repentance and to bow to one another in real forgiveness. By the fire of your Holy Spirit, melt our hard hearts and consume the pride and prejudice which separate us. Fill us, O Lord, with your perfect love, which casts out fear and binds us together with all of our brothers and sisters in that unity which you share with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we continue the spirit of prayer, if you would like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please join me. Father, we come in gratitude today because you are indeed the fount of all blessing. We pour out grace and mercy, forgiveness, peace, joy, love. All of these, of these gifts that we could never begin to deserve. And we come today in gratitude and thanksgiving. We thank you for your blessings upon us. in our struggles and our difficulties. We thank you for your comforting grace to all who are grieving today. We pray your, your mercy. Father, we thank you for supplying healing grace to all who are ill and in pain. And we pray especially for Kathy Brewer, Storer Emmett, Ken Stonemetz, Ben King, Doris Asepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Bucher, Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Everett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar, and others are on our minds today. Father, we thank you for being present in, in the grace, your grace in the ministries of our church and churches around us. We pray for Trinity Lutheran Church in Wellsville and Pastor Morris. We thank you for the the ministry of this church, for the people of this church, and we ask that you would bless them, bind them together in your love, that they would be a witness of love to the city of Wellsville and beyond. Father, we thank you for your grace in our world and in our nation. We pray your continued mercy upon refugees throughout the world. We pray for those struggling with recent disasters and violence. We pray for healing and unity in our nation that would not be centered around a political ideology, but in you. May you be our focus. 
Father, we, we thank you for your compassionate grace upon John and Tricia Frazier as they serve in Hungary. Continue to use them to, to teach and to inspire your church and your people. We pray you bless their family. Help them to find the right school for their children that would, would nurture them and, and help them. And I pray that you would bless this family. And Father, we are so grateful for your sustaining grace upon our brothers and sisters who face opposition and persecution in ways that are difficult for us to really understand. We pray today for the Christians in Central Africa Republic as they have witnessed churches being destroyed and pastors being martyred and, and it being driven from uh, so many from their homes. We ask, Father, for your grace upon them, your protection upon them. And, and Lord, give them the ability to, to have a spirit of love in spite of all that's being done. That they might, they might be a witness of who you are to those who are opposing them and hurting them. Father, we pray that you will open our eyes daily to your blessings, to who you are. Make us more and more grateful that people would see you in us. We pray this through Christ, who goes to the cross for our sins and the sins of all people, and who, the one who teaches us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written. No tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is cut and free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. To look on Him and pardon me. Bye. 
Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my The New Testament reading is Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 29. Following the scripture reading, children may be dismissed for Children's Church. And please stand for the reading of the gospel. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. It seems to me that in every religious group, every religion, every, every gathering of people around some type of ideology, there is always a sense of some people are in and some people are out. Some people are a part of the group, some people are not a part of the group. Each of the, every religion, every ideology has different rules for what makes people in and out. But the reality is there are people who are in and there are people who are out. And one of the things that every religious group, I think, is trying to figure out in one way or another, including Christianity, is who's in and who's out. And, and we, we spend a lot of time thinking about that, processing that, trying to determine that, who's in and who's out. And, and in our culture today, it's not, always, it's not always welcomed that there are people who are in and out, but that's just the reality of the way things operate. And Jesus weighs in on, on that whole question as the Sermon on the Mount comes to an end. In one sense, he's sort of been talking about that in, in subtle ways from the beginning. But now as you come to the end of it, he's, he's much more intense, much more in our faces about it. And he says, there is a dividing line. There is a line. There are people who are in, there are people who are out. And he uses a few uh, metaphors and examples to help us understand the fact that there are people in and out. He talks about the fact that there are people who walk through a narrow gate and people who walk through a wide gate. And people who walk through a narrow road and a wide road. And there are people who end up in, in life and people end up in destruction. And there are prophets who are false and by implication prophets that are true. And then you have this whole thing about houses and the foundation on which the house rests. Every one of these, of these images is, is about who's in and who's out. And as Jesus continues this discussion, he, um, he, he says to us that it's sometimes difficult to know who's in and who's out. Because there are people who look like they're in and they're really out. And as we go on through the gospel, we find that there are people who everybody thinks are out and they're in. And, and as Jesus unfolds this story, when you get to verses 16 to 20, and he's talking about false prophets, he's in many ways sort of um, revising uh, what many of the Old Testament prophets say, including the prophet Jeremiah that we read from a few moments ago. Jeremiah talks about false prophets, and they're leading people astray, and they have a false image of God. And Jesus says, here's how you know whether a prophet is true or false. Here's how you know if you're in or out. It's about fruit. It's about what you do. It's not so much what you know, as important as that is. It's not so much that you are following the law and the rituals, as important as that might be. But it's really about fruit. It's about actions. Because what's in us eventually comes out of us. And what comes out of us is an indication of what's in us. And so he says, look at the fruit. Look at how people live. Look at their actions. 
when he gets to the end of this and he's talking about the houses and the foundations, he says, here's the difference between the people who build on a solid foundation and people who build on a crumbling foundation is that both people hear. It's not a problem of not being able to hear. It's a problem of what you do about what you hear. And people who hear and follow Jesus and obey Jesus are building a solid foundation. And those who hear and go their own way and don't follow Jesus are building a crumbling foundation. And it's the line. And I think that what Jesus is talking about is the sense of how we understand his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. How do we, what is he saying to us here? He's saying to us that sometimes we think being in is all about what we know. It's all about following the rules. In fact, he's talking about these prophets. They know the the letter of the law. They do the letter of the law, but they've completely missed the intent and the spirit of the law. I think it takes us all the way back to the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are not uh, not just the beginning of this of a number of different ideas, the Beatitudes are the foundation for all the rest of the things that Jesus says and probably all of the way that Jesus, everything else Jesus says and lives his life. Because to be in the kingdom, to hear and follow, to hear and obey, to build the right kind of foundation, to walk the narrow road and through the narrow gate is to embrace what Jesus says in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Because people in the kingdom, how do they act? What do they do? They're poor in spirit instead of making sure everyone knows how wonderful they are. They mourn over the the pain and the agony and, and the sin and the burden of the world and a people that people face as opposed to being apathetic and disengaged from it. They are meek, humble, rather than arrogant. They are are peacemakers rather than people who are always stirring up the pot. They are merciful, even when everything in them wants to be vindictive. They hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice. As opposed to actually sometimes being the cause of injustice. They are willing to be, to be persecuted and to suffer because they follow Jesus. I mean, all of these things he's talking about and everything else that Jesus says is really not just about loving God, but it's the fact that we are open to God and we love other people. We care about people. We are, we are passionate about what people are facing and what they're dealing with. And, and we, want to, we live our lives as, as a being, to be agents of healing and grace and mercy for people. We're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to give up our comforts because it's in the best interest of other people. We see people in need and we're willing to give up something in order to help meet those needs. We care about other people just as Jesus does. We live the golden rule. And it actually, it's not even so much doing to others as, as, they, as we want them to do to us, but it's doing to others like Jesus does to others. Our hearts are turned outward instead of always thinking 
about us. What's in it for me? What's best for me? How do I protect myself? How do, how do I go through life being, being as, as literally, little vulnerable as possible? How do I get? And Jesus says, no, it's about how you give. It's about how you serve. It's about how you love. This is what people who are citizens of the kingdom do. That's, that's the sign. That's the fruit of being in the kingdom. I think this comes back in many ways to the spiritual disciplines. How do we, how do we develop that kind of spirit? How do we develop that kind of life, that, that kind of openness to God that we'll do whatever he wants us to do and, and that creates a, a spirit of love for other people? It, it's, it's practicing the spiritual disciplines. But sometimes we practice them with sort of how, what's the least I can do and, and still make God happy. And Jesus, throughout the sermon, and in many other places we see this, the practicing the spiritual disciplines is about having a passion for the spiritual disciplines. Because we realize they are a gift from God. We talk about worship, coming together in worship, and studying the scriptures, and prayer, and silence, and solitude, and fasting, and giving what we have, and serving other people. All of the spiritual disciplines, instead of seeing them as a burden, we see them as a gift. They are an opportunity, they are a means for God to work in our hearts and to transform us and to make us into people he created us to be so that we can build a solid foundation. Because at some point, the storms are going to come. Storms actually reveal the kind of foundation that we've built. Without storms, you could build a house on the sand and it would probably last. But when the storms come... It tests the foundation. It reveals what kind of foundation the house has been built on. And, and the storms are going to come because the evil one is present in this world and, and he is continually bringing things against us. Pain and heartache and struggle and difficulty and opposition. And he's continually, he's continually coming against us with storms. We don't have to wait until the day of the, of the final judgment to know if we built on a good foundation or not. We can see it now because the storms reveal the kind of foundation we're building our lives on. Is it a foundation that's built on, on embracing all of the truths that, that Christ is, teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount and wanting that kind of life? Or is it a foundation that's built on what we want, on selfishness and self-centeredness? And, and the result of what happens with our house when the storm comes is the kind of foundation we've built. That we want the kingdom to be exactly what God says it is. And that we embrace that. We embrace the fact that he calls us to humility and vulnerability and forgiveness and mercy and love and hurting with other people and being completely open to him that we do whatever he's asking us to do. And we're not going to do that perfectly because none of us are perfect. But it's the intent of our heart. It's the desire of our heart. And what Jesus is saying about the fruit is that if it's the intent of your heart, more often than not, that's what's going to come out. That's what it looks like to be in the kingdom. I sometimes think that when we talk about the narrow gate and, and, the, and the wide gate and, and, and all of these things about how we enter... I think sometimes we think of it as sort of a, um, I don't know, a, a gate of privilege. 
It made me think of uh, about 10, 11 years ago, someone very generously gave to us uh, tickets to the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament in New York City. And Andrew and I went, and it was awesome. And we, we got, when we got into, the, into the, uh, the grounds, we went to the gate that, uh, that takes you into the stadium, Arthur Ashe Stadium. And as we were looked, the guy looked at our tickets, he goes, oh, no. He goes, you've got special tickets. You get to go around to the special gate. Like, oh, we get to go to the special gate? Cool. So we walked to the special gate, and I'm standing in line at the special gate, and I'm thinking to myself, all those other people are jealous of us that we get to go in the special gate. Because I've been where they are, and I know how it feels to look at these people and think, man, I wish I could go in that gate. But we have to go in this gate. And, and we stood there, and we went in, and we saw some celebrities, and we, we were in this beautiful suite, and they served us this amazing meal, and we sat on the balcony and watched the tournament. It was awesome. And I'm looking down at all the other people, all the other losers that weren't able to come into the great gate, and thinking, we're here because we had tickets to the special gate. And that's how we got in here. And it's too bad you guys didn't get tickets to the special gate. Of course, I'm thinking to myself, like, I had anything to do with it. I didn't have anything to do with it. They were just given to me. And I think sometimes that's how we view the narrow gate, that, that it's narrow and only a few people find it because it's so special. And, and, it, and it's, just, it's just limited to a few people who have figured things out. They know enough or they've done enough or they've reached a high enough place that, that they get to be in. I think that's what, what leads to our, our whole mindset about judging other people, about who's in and who's not. And we look at people and think, well, you know, they don't really measure up, so they're out. And sometimes we judge ourselves that way. But I think, actually, if you want to think about a gate, maybe the gate Jesus is describing is a lot more like those, uh, the kind of things you see at an amusement park, where they have the little sign that says you have to be this tall to ride. You, know, you can't get in unless you're this tall. And because this ride is dangerous and you can't make it. The only thing is, Jesus reverses it. And he says, the only way you can get in is if you're this small. The only way you can get in is if you're willing to stoop. If you're willing to be vulnerable. If you're willing to be meek and humble. If you're willing to be merciful. And gracious, if you're willing to be persecuted for his name's sake. It's not really about how tall we are. It's about how short we're willing to be. How childlike. Isn't it Jesus himself who said, unless you become like little children, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven. And you have the kind of faith to believe that openness to God And a surrendered spirit to God and a willingness to love and to give to other people is what allows us to enter the gate. And the reason few people enter is because a lot of us just simply don't want to stoop. And yet it is Jesus himself, of whom Paul writes, who says, Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Became a human being and took on the nature of a servant and went to a cross. It is embracing that mindset. It's embracing that truth that 
makes the difference between being in and out. But here's the thing that I've discovered. We spend so much of our time trying to judge other people about whether they're in or out. And all it does is create within us a judgmental spirit. And I've ne- never yet met anyone who was judged into the kingdom. I've just never met them. Maybe you have, but I've never met anyone who was judged into the kingdom. I've met people who have been loved into the kingdom. And I've met people who have been humbled into the kingdom. And have been, uh, through an act of mercy, entered the kingdom. But never being judged. And I know our thought is, well, we need to know who needs to know about Jesus and who doesn't. Here's the honest truth. We all need to hear about Jesus. And some people need to hear different things about Jesus. But what everybody needs to experience from us is the love of Jesus. Because if people are not in the kingdom, then they need to know that Jesus loves them. And we need to be agents of grace into their lives so that they will want to enter the kingdom. And those of us who might be in the kingdom are continually needing others to love us, to help us continue to keep growing as people in the kingdom. The truth is, to to act in love toward other people is never, never comes to its end. Because it's an eternal thing. It's the way of the kingdom. It's the way of, of, of all that we will ever know as people of the kingdom. The question in my mind is, why do we do this? Why do we sacrifice? You know, why do we give up? First of all, if you really think about it, what are we giving up? What are we really giving up when we stoop? What do we give up when we embrace the ideas of the Beatitudes and and the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of Jesus as he fulfills the law and everything that God has ever taught us. What are we really giving up? We're giving up the vicious cycle of trying to protect ourselves. We're giving up the vicious cycle of trying to prove to people how important we are. We're giving up the vicious cycle of trying to protect everything that we have so that no one will take it. We're giving up the vicious cycle of of trying to live our lives selfishly. When you think about it, what are we really giving up? And I'm convinced that we will understand that when we begin to understand who God is. Because at the heart of everything Jesus says here is taking us back to what he says earlier in chapter 7 that, that God is the, is the Father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And when you get to the end of the, of the sermon, Matthew summarizes by saying all the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he had an authority that all the other teachers didn't have. And I don't think that that, that means primarily that Jesus had a, had a voice that grabbed people's attention. I think what he was telling them grabbed their attention. That they were beginning to understand that this God Jesus is describing is very different from the God we've been told about. Very different from the way all the other religious leaders speak about God. 
And I'm coming to, the, to be convinced that everything we think and the way that we live in some way or another comes back to our view of God. Because if we see God as an unpleasable taskmaster, if we see God as a boss who is always demanding more and more of us, if we see God who's all about rules and lists and measuring up, then our lives will be about demands and rules and measuring up. And not only for us, but for everybody else. But if we can see that God is the one who is loving and compassionate and full of grace and mercy and who loves to give good gifts to his children, not so we can just keep doing whatever we want to do, but to set us free from doing whatever we want to do. To set us free from the power of sin that controls our lives and and that leads us to misery. We can be set free from that through the grace of God in Christ. And we come to this table because our God is merciful and gracious and good, so much so that he loved the world and he sent his son to die for us. This is the God that Jesus is describing and calling us, inviting us to embrace. A lot of you have probably had uh, experience with funnels. You know, you're putting oil in your car or using it to put something into a bottle. Funnels are a great thing. I don't know who invented a funnel, but it's a, it's a great thing. And I suspect we all have one in our home someplace. I was reading something this week about funnels in this passage. And in his book, Living the Resurrection, Glenn Stossen says that he had read somewhere that someone had described what Jesus says like a funnel. If you turn it on the side, you can, you, can, you can move through it. And he said it's sort of like Jesus is saying, which way do you want to enter this funnel? You can choose to enter it on the wide end and do whatever you want, live your life however you want to, just, just be self-centered. And it feels like freedom, but eventually it catches up with you because it gets narrow and constricting and it leads to destruction. Or you can enter it the other way. And you can enter to the small end and sometimes it feels like constriction. And sometimes it feels like our lives are being restricted and we don't have control of our lives. But eventually it gets to genuine freedom. You end up with life. And the question is, where do we want to end up? Do we end up here or here? And how, whichever way, whatever, wherever we end up depends on where we begin. The question that Jesus is posing to us is, where do you want to enter? Where do you want to end up? It really isn't about judging who's in and who's out. The command of Jesus is simply, follow me. Follow me. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy to us. 
Thank you for your truth. Thank you for things that you want to do in our lives. I pray that you would help us to to desire your kingdom. To want your kingdom to be exactly what you say it is. And to embrace it with all that we are. We pray that your spirit's blessing will rest upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. That it will be food to our souls through the grace of our crucified, risen Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, Drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply desire, uh, we have trays and cups. We're happy to serve you those in your pew. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I also have gluten-free wafers here and cups. Let me know if you would like those. I, I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with the desire to embrace Christ and to know Christ, come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
stand as we join together for the closing hymn. Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.